Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode eighty-one of Strangers in the Cinema. I'm here with my co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack. Jack Mills is not here. Yeah, Where, the, where's Jack? You've got the <laughs> the absence of Jack. Um, yeah, Jack unable to attend this recording basically because we've just messed him about so much with when it was actually going to happen that he's uh, he's given up. But we're too strong, and we're going to be hopefully as strong as ever. And as ever, we've got all the usual sections of the show that people know and you know moderately like um paul how are you doing though aside from mourning the loss of jack mills for one week uh i'm very well apart from that to be fair i can't really focus i'm so used to have him sitting next to me and kind of just guiding me through every sort of sentence that comes out of my mouth i'm struggling struggling in his absence pete to be honest <laughs> so so just to be clear your um other half laura the lovely laura is actually away in the city that you're going to move to even though most of the time you're in the city that you're going to move to so you sort of swap positions for today unfortunately we have kind of swapped positions today yeah unfortunately the one thing i can't do on her behalf is sign the contract for our flat right. um, that she forgot to sign when we had it in our possession right. hence why my wife is in bath and i am here in cheltenham but this is very dull for the listeners to, uh, it's, <laughs> to it's, listen it's color it's color okay. and light and shade and it's <laughs> and it's sketching in the background to what is otherwise just two more white guys talking about their opinions. Um, but that being said, though, what are we? We are excited about something tonight, though. We've got a secret unlimited screening coming up. Yeah, we do. Yeah, people will probably know that Cineworld and other cinemas that are available, obviously, do this thing where they'll put on uh, occasionally a film without announcing what that film is. And generally speaking, it's an advanced screening of something. So we've had things like Triple Nine was at it before. What else did we have, Paul? Can you remember? Oh, we had uh, Molly's Game was like a whole month. Right, advanced, sure. So. Yeah, the, the secret screenings do tend to be. A bit further in advance so I'm going to put my flag in the sand here and say that it's going to be a wrinkle in time because my Oscar predictions were so accurate that I reckon I've nailed this one as well Pete. So this is the Ava DuVernay <laughs> thing that I'm uh, pretty excited about it looks uh, odd uh, ambitious and uh, interestingly reviewed let's say so far yeah. but uh, and Oprah Winfrey's involved and uh, all manner of people are involved in that thing actually so I'd be happy with that the other thing you mentioned was maybe Pacific Rim 2 is a yeah, possibility yeah Pacific Rim Uprising yeah it could it could well be Pacific Rim Uprising in which case I will be so excited I hear a little squeal yeah, from behind yeah. me in the cinema and, and I mean again we've talked about this before I know it's going to be rubbish but I'll still be quite excited if it's that so basically that that leaves you that leaves us quite open next week with what we're going to review I mean it could even be Tomb Raider which is out uh, Friday, but these the limited pre the secret screenings tend to be a lot further they, in advance. And also, so. I think these secret uh, screenings, these these unreleased secret screenings, tend to be slightly left field films, uh, to the extent that maybe they're not the ones that have been getting the massive heavy no, promotion. You're not going like to get Avengers or Star Wars. Or like yeah, exactly. Like when people said maybe screen. one of them was going to be a Star Wars sequel, and obviously it's not going to no. be. You'd have the ire of all the Star Wars fans no. who, who like already pre booked tickets at that point. Um, anyway, for today's show, Paul, we've got two pretty meaty reviews I think to get into what is it we're going to cover I'm excited to be here today because we get to talk about I'm, not, I'm always excited to be here I'm hasten to add I'm very excited to be here today because today we're going to cover uh, the latest film from Alex Garland um, the Netflix it's now Netflix exclusive Annihilation um, and Lynn Ramsey's latest film You Were Never Really Here yeah so although feature it, I would caveat on that on that Netflix exclusive thing that you've just mentioned I believe it is cinematically released in North America Annihilation 
information and we haven't got it cinematically here but we are a UK podcast so as far as we're concerned it is basically a Netflix yeah. exclusive yeah. Um, yes so talking about that um, dichotomy between films that appear exclusively on Netflix or at the cinema screen or sometimes on a mixture of the two I wanted to talk about Paul are there any films that jump into your mind when asked the question what do you absolutely have to see on the big screen or the other way of looking at that is is there anything you've seen on the big screen that you think would completely fall to pieces if it were on a much smaller screen uh, Annihilation <laughs> be, <laughs> more, more on that later yeah, more, more on, on that later, later. Yeah. Uh, no I think you know the big not, I don't think you need to see every film at the cinema um, I would say that you know the films that will work across the small most films most sort of smaller scale dramas and that kind of thing will work, I would say. I need more commitment than this, Paul. Equally as well. Stop Basically, being so diplomatic. Commit to something. Anything with, a, anything with a budget generally is enhanced by a bigger screen, in my opinion. Sci-fi generally, especially if you're doing anything in space, anything with um, with kind of big effects work. And also anything with like anything with with sound design generally works. With sort of elaborate sound design will work better in a cinema because unless you've got my lounge um, the, cin- the sound is normally better in the cinema than it is at home so anything anything like that I think is, is better so it's a big sci-fi oh you mean your lounge with the children practicing piano downstairs and the seagulls outside I am moving that yeah. yeah that's the same one yeah. <laughs> the new yeah. lounge yeah the new lounge um, yeah. no but, but I want to jump on something you said which was like sci-fi spectacle because Paul you all remember uh, the film that ultimately wasn't really about space but was about depression and loss uh, that I talked about no end a couple of years ago which was Gravity the Alfonso Caron movie and that's one where I saw it in the cinema I saw it originally on IMAX then I saw it again on a regular cinema screen and then the third time I saw it was on a 32 inch television and my word did it suffer for that I, I don't recommend that to anybody no, to Interstellar is another, another prime example of a Absolutely. film that even I think, I think even outside of an IMAX screen uh, Interstellar suffers even on a sort of normal sized cinema screen um, Dunkirk is an oh, incredible yeah, sure. example of a film that for me actually on second viewing didn't really hold up that well as a film at all outside of the cinema I think you're absolutely right and and there's another factor that I want to bring up which is this modern world in which we live Paul it allows us these opportunities if you want to call them that like watching a film at home whilst checking stuff on our phones now you and I are both upstanding citizens enough to never even dream of checking our phones <laughs> in a film unlike some of the scum who attend cinemas scum these days strong but, yeah, but fair. absolutely yeah. fair but um I feel this other the other side of this sort of conversation is that there are certain films, if not most films, that benefit from dissuading you of the idea that it's okay to check your phone. So I don't know about you, I don't know if you even want to own up to this, but I know that I've d- detracted from certain movies at home by not giving them my undivided attention. Am I alone? I don't think I'm alone. No, I mean, I, I tend to drift if if the film's particularly poor. I tend to kind of can be known for drifting into my phone. For example, I watched a film called, well, I think officially called Nymph, but um, Netflix had retitled it Killer Mermaids. <laughs> right. Um, with, a, with a hangover from my leave-in drinks the other night. That's so. not about, it's it's like a girl and, she ha- and then she ends up having like giant fangs and she's got like a mermaid bottom half of the body and it's a horror film from a few years ago. Yeah. Probably. I think I might have seen this yeah. movie. I think it might have had another title. So that, so that I kind of drifted away from onto my phone I'm actually not too bad for it at home I'll be perfectly honest um, there's like Annihilation which we'll come on to later I didn't do it at all if it's a film I really want to watch then no I won't do it I will mm. make a point of the phone will be down um, but yeah if it's a dull film 
yes I can drift away from it but no I'm not I'm actually no I would say I'm not too guilty of letting it get in the way of the, the film itself maybe that's more me then yeah I mean I, I just think because the option's there there's this temptation to sort of multitask whether you're like do, sometimes I'm even like doing a bit of work and I've got a film on but I'm doing work and then, I know people like I know people that will watch the films where they're doing ironing or something like that for me I like to sit down and watch a film and I know that I, if I see my wife doing it I'll tell my wife off so if she if I pick up my friend during a film then she'll tell me off so it's quite a good balance actually where we don't don't allow each other to it's get away with it it's a real fun house over here yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah there's no fun watching films in this house at all but, but then <laughs> I, I feel like I gained insight into some of the layers of depth that there are to the uh, Nicolas Cage film Ghost Rider by watching it in the gym it was on a little miniature <laughs> TV attached to my treadmill and I really feel I got a better understanding of that movie there but yeah I, I mean I joke of course uh, I think what, what have we learned from this conversation Paul uh, big films should be on big screens and uh, don't check your phone when you watch your movies yes like uh, like I do in my sort of low low brow existence and that basically is it for in the foyer this week we'll be back shortly with our popcorn movies So, we're back with Popcorn Movies, the part of our show where Paul and I fire back short-form reviews of films that we've seen in the recent days, usually seven, sometimes more. I'm going to kick off this time, Paul. Okay. Uh, I'm going to kick off with okay. a film that I actually saw a, a few weeks ago now, um, but didn't get a chance to review at the time. It is uh, from writer-director Jeff Boehner that you, Paul, will know from things like Life After Beth, um, okay, with Plaza, yeah. and also The Little Hours, which I think we both saw recently. It was quite funny. Did he direct The Little Hours? He did indeed, and he wrote okay. it, uh, apparently. Um, yes. So, uh, Joshi is the name of the film, um, and the central character is played by the actor Thomas Middleditch, who I believe is from Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley yeah. which you watch and I don't. But which you should watch in, very funny in this movie it is a very sort of um, lo-fi feeling sort of indie get a load of people in a place is it mumblecore uh, you could <laughs> say that yeah it's some, it's some amount of improv here although I think the script seems relatively uh, sketched out um, Thomas Middleditch's character plays a guy who plans to be married to a character played by the actress Alison Brie but she uh, that situation doesn't come to fruition let's say um, he then instead of quitting out on his stag do makes it into a celebration of his friendship with a group of guys. Within that group of guys are actors, again, that you might know, Paul, and that we probably both quite like, um, from Adam Pally to uh, Nick Kroll is in this, and actually a lot more tolerable than I've seen him in a while. Um, <laughs> I think, though, the standout is Alex Ross Perry. Alex Ross Perry you might know as the director of stuff like Listen Up, Philip, and The Queen of Earth. I think um, I've seen Listen Up. I want to say I've seen Listen Up, Philip. Quite Quite like well, you've an, talked about that yeah you? I have yeah quite sort of an acerbic filmmaker talented guy and he delivers this performance here a bit like um, uh, uh, the sort of you know Michael Serra when he's doing his kind of you know withering put down sort of softly spoken characters yeah. in in things like um, I was the one Juno Temple in the desert anyway I, I digress he is the standout here yeah as the one friend who's sort of um, sort of scared of everything and apparently sort of allergic to everything and just wants to get so Jackson in this film, he, yes he's not even here just just wants to get everybody on this lads weekend to play a really involved um, sort of fantasy board game when okay. all the other guys want to like do drugs and you know go out and party and, and mess about particularly Nick Kroll's character who's at the complete opposite end of the spectrum and he's just like we're gonna have fun whatever the cost they do end up going out and they meet some other people uh, including Jenny Slate um, also Aubrey Plaza uh, at one point in this movie we've got both Joe Swan 
and his wife. So we're really in the territory of like the uh, yeah. the, the royal family of the Mumblecore scene. <laughs> uh, the movie is is good. I enjoyed it for the people who were involved. However, the central um, piece of drama is quite serious, thematically quite serious, and it leads to um, an emotional sort of cathartic moment that I don't know if Thomas Middleditch is quite uh, able to pull off. Um, It goes to a a very dark place. All I've seen of him really is is Silicon Valley in Venice. I know he's got a few projects coming up because Silicon Valley's been relatively successful, and he's... He's solid in that in the role that he plays, but yeah, be intri- I'd be intrigued to see him a bit further stretched. There's just emotional sort of weight to what he's going through uh, of a significant kind, and yeah, like I say, I think that's the one place where this movie kind of falters. When the guys are just together bantering and, and being stupid and playing off each other and that kind of thing, I think it's really good. I think Jenny Slate's on great form in this. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? Brett Gelman, an actor that one of those character actors that you just see in a lot of things, balding guy with a beard, uh, is again a bit of a show stealer here uh, doesn't all work but it's the kind of movie that well it's now streaming on Netflix that if you like any of the people mentioned um, particularly like Adam Pally I've gone about is it a Netflix loads. exclusive or no no okay. I, I don't believe that it is um, I don't believe that it is I think it's just been sold to Netflix for streaming yep. you can also buy it on Amazon if you okay. want to spend your money when I you, will probably you find that to be fair because I'm a big fan of that, that, that one Paul is Joshy and it's from 2016 what have you got first cool um, well I revisited a film I haven't seen for many a year probably since I was a wee wee child uh, which is Jim Henson and Frank Oz's 1982 um, sort of puppet driven I'd say classic, uh, Dark Crystal. Um, so I was very intrigued to see how this would stand up to my uh, adult eyes. And thankfully, Pete, it stands up very, very, very well indeed. Right. Um, so what's quite nice is there's, a, well, according to the box, it's a 30th anniversary edition, but surely it's 35, so this came out in 1982. So, uh, But anyway, so, yeah, they've basically, it's just come out on 4K Blu-ray. So You've been done, duped. I've been duped, yeah. <laughs> so they've just come out on 4K Blu-ray. They've done a really incredible job of the 4K remaster. Like, it looks amazing. You, you wouldn't expect, really, something done with puppets could possibly look this good. Uh, but it really does look good. There's no sign of the strings anywhere. They've really taken their time, and you can really, really pick out all the details in the puppetry, and it kind of, kind of adds a adds a level that wasn't there for me before, really. Um, but in terms of in terms of the story, you kind of I'm not going to give any not going to give away any spoilers for those who haven't seen it. But it's kind of I'd say standard fantasy fare where these two little sort of gelfling characters who are a bit a bit like hobbits, in fairness. Um, rebel against the evil skepsies who are ruling the ruling the, the world with a dark crystal so it's a kind of standard fantasy fair but it's just so much fun it's just uh, very very enjoyable and the as you'd expect from sort of Jim Henson and the creature and the um was it Creature Shop Jim Henson's Creature Shop or something like that I think it was called yes correct me if I'm wrong I, there, wish, I wish Paul that we'd sat through like over an hour's worth of an actual lecture on this topic quite recently oh wait we did and yes, I still can't quite remember yeah yeah I think it's from Jim Henson's Creature Shop I'm fairly sure it's that uh, but please listeners correct me if I'm wrong and the creativity and just the, the craft that goes into these puppets is incredible and they still look fantastic today so um yeah I'm very very excited about it about actually about the they are doing an animated series Pete I don't know if you're aware of this and I think nope. Netflix have picked it up um, which is a Dark Crystal series again the Jim Henson um, Creature Shop which is what I'm now going to call them forever whether that's right or wrong uh, are doing a series that Netflix I believe have picked up which I think is out later in the year but I imagine would take a long time to film but yeah if you haven't seen Dark Crystal or haven't seen it for some time revisit it it really doesn't disappoint 
Nice. Um, second for me this week, Paul, was one that we flirted with doing as a, a feature, and I know that you've seen it as well. It's the new one from uh, director, writer Woody Allen. The last um, one from Woody Allen, possibly, from what I've been reading. But. Is that so? Um, 2017's Wonder Wheel. Now, as I think I mentioned when we did the coming attraction section last time uh, on Wonder Wheel, there is a certain amount of trepidation when you go into watching a new Woody Allen film, because he is a director, like, putting aside all the issues that people like to um, talk about or, or maybe dislike talking about he is a director that I have a lot of time for and I've seen an awful lot of his films so there is excitement there but then we're all used to this conversation about how the old ones are the funny ones and he's not so good anymore in this case what do we have Paul we have a carousel operator in the 1950s on Coney Island the Wonder Wheel is actually like the uh, Ferris wheel that exists on Coney Island um, operated by the actor or character played by the actor Jim Belushi who is married to rather or very unhappily to uh, Kate Winslet's character he is continually falling off the wagon and getting back on in terms of his alcohol consumption their marriage is very fractious they have a little boy who is a pyromaniac which is uh, <laughs> Kate Winslet's side of the family her son from another relationship and then the daughter of Jim Belushi's character rocks up on the scene played by Juno Temple an actress that I like a great deal um, and what begins to develop is something of a love triangle not unlike what you see in a film like The Graduate between Justin Timberlake Kate Winslet's character Justin and Timberlake plays a lifeguard he does right? yeah he, he plays I should have mentioned yeah. yeah he plays a lifeguard on the beach at Coney Island um, who initially is involved with Kate Winslet's character then becomes interested in Juno Temple's character obviously a lot younger um, and the sparks begin to fly Paul I quite I quite, with some reservations like this movie, uh, the reasons that I did, I think it does a good job of building up, building up this kind of cacophony of sound um, around living in a place like Coney Island. The way that Kate Winslet's character is careering from one stressful situation to the next and constantly talks about needing her aspirin, taking her aspirin, needing a drink, just something to like relieve the stress of the situation. Also the fact that the wheel that is never a part of the plot in any direct way turns around and around in the background and allows people to sit on board go round on a journey that ultimately goes nowhere that could be both a compliment and a criticism for this movie I think we go round and round with these characters it is inconsequential it is heightened it doesn't feel that rooted in real life but for me there was enough here to like not least Juno Temple's performance which I think is really really good again where, where do you stand on Wonder uh, I mean, I'm pretty much with you, Pete, to be honest. I mean, I, I, unlike you, haven't seen much of Woody Allen's recent films. I think probably the most recent one I've seen before this was um, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. So that's mm. going back quite a few years now, which Ten is quite scary. Yeah, it doesn't more. seem like it's that old. Part, oh, Blue Jasmine, sorry, is probably the last, was definitely so the last. So that's four, four or five years. Yeah, yeah, which was the last Woody Allen film I really, really enjoyed in Venice. So, yeah, again, it was with some trepidation. I kind of, I kind of went to see this. Um, yeah, co-sign on a lot of what you said. I think uh, in places, though, it, it, for me, it did feel a little bit flat. I did find myself kind of not quite drifting off to sleep. But I don't think... I think because it had su almost such a sense of misery to it in places that it, it struggled to engage me for the entirety of the film. Um, but what I will say is the lighting on it was beautiful. Oh, it was lit within an inch of its yeah, life, oh, this it, movie. I, mean, yeah. there was, I did a read a review. I think it was in The Guardian where he'd said there, there's one particular scene. And I did notice this when I was watching watching it where like Kate Winslet I think is sitting in 
the dark and then it appears the sun sort of rises and sets on her face and he said he, he had a theory that Woody Allen might have used the wrong take and I'm, I'm not going to that seems a little bit mean to be honest but but for me it just worked like the film was so beautifully lit and I hadn't really I'd never really thought about Woody Allen as like a great visual filmmaker before this to be honest it's, I forget um, the name of the guy and I should have it to hand the name of the cinematographer is who people have been pulling up as like the guy really responsible for oh that. yeah I mean let's let's look him up I mean what did you think of the lighting well, well I mean, we need to give this guy credit on this one um, yeah I mean um, I, I agree yeah I agree it, it, it looks lovely uh, like I said I mean basically I think I, I've said everything I have to say about it it it, it looks terrific it, it sort of goes round and round and it finishes and it's not going to stick with you for a great deal of time but it's um, the kind of phrase that you would say and I would probably uh, chastise you for but it's like by far the uh, it's far from being the worst of his movies yeah that's what that was in fact what I was about yeah. to say the cinematographer in question is Vittorio Storaro that's it um, yeah. who literally he, he made he for me has made this film uh, probably if, well if you look on Letterboxd you'll see our star ratings but probably jumped it up a star for me because of how the film actually looked and I think that goes a long way to, to carry in the film but yeah as you've said Pete it's, it's certainly probably not his worst film I don't think I've seen his worst film I, it's not vintage Woody Allen I would bad. say uh, if you're going to go for a sort of Woody Allen conduit character that we generally have in his films Justin Timberlake uh, bless his heart probably not the strongest candidate no I, he does, I his, he does his best at some some line deliveries feel uh, sort of more uh, uh, confident and accomplished than others, uh, perhaps. And sometimes it does feel a little bit wooden. And those exchanges, especially when you put him opposite, well, either Juno Temple or Kate Winslet, kind of underline that he's not quite at that level in terms of um, uh, of an actor. But, you know, I like the guy and, and, and wish him well in his future endeavours. Yeah, that one was Wonder Wheel. Paul, what have you got uh, second this time? Uh, so I've got a film um, which we put on Hungover, expecting to laugh at all the way through, and we didn't. So that was, you know, it's done well. This is uh, Kill Command. Uh, from director Stephen Gomez which came out in 2016 I don't believe it did a cinematic run I found it on Netflix of which it's recently been added um, as you can probably garner from the title it's kind of it's a sci-fi sci-fi action film where a group of elite marines get dropped into a training zone and are training against uh, some robots have we got Dolph Lundgren in here uh, no there's Steven no one Seagal. there's no one I really there's no one I initially recognised to be honest so for me it was all a relatively nameless cast I think the one of the women in it has done a bit more has done quite a lot of television work um, so basically this, yeah, this elite group of soldiers are dropped into a training a training base they don't really know what the mission is and it all goes a bit wrong the robots start killing them and they shouldn't be there's a robot there's like an, I think she's an android character with them who can communicate with the robots and it's kind of is she all that she seems so it's pretty standard kind of sci-fi fare um, but you know what it actually it wasn't that bad like the first half was struggled a bit because you've got this I just wish filmmakers would understand that there are pretty much two films that do banter between military types well, and they are basically Aliens and Predator. If you can't do it well, don't do it at all. You need it's not. People seem to think it's easy to do this. You, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about, Pete. The sort of backslapping, like goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus kind of Jesse Ventura stuff, like. You need a talented cast to be able to deliver those lines. And the first half of this film, there is a lot of just terrible sort of... Hold on. Were, were the two examples that you cited was one of them Predator. Yeah. Where that guy makes about four jokes about the gaping vagina of like somebody's exactly. partner. Yeah. That's the that's the example of the banter that works. Our bar is no, low. You know, you know, no. I, mean, I know the, what you're, the chemistry, I know what you're getting the, at. The, there, yeah. yeah, I see what you mean about the joke, but the chemistry, the chemistry between those actors is certainly there. Like it's palpable. Um, and if you haven't got chemistry, that kind of banter doesn't really work. And the first half of this film, there is a lot of that. 
it does also suffer for, for, from some of the worst on the nose dialogue I've ever heard in my life. So, Pete, there were one, there's one point where a smoke grenade lands on the ground. This military guy looks at it and he goes, smoke, they're throwing smoke. <laughs> and you're like, wow, seriously, guys? But the second half picks up. The effects are actually pretty good. The action scenes are pretty well shot. There's actually quite a lot of tension in this. So sort of for a throwaway... For, for another person who finds themselves hung over on a Sunday, is this perfect. Worth, worth the Absolutely time? perfect, yes. Yes. Nice. Well, talking of absolutely perfect, we'll be back with a perfect uh, next section in just a moment. And that section will be called Coming Attraction. And back we are with Coming Attractions. Uh, I'm going to go first this week, Pete, if that's all right. You are, so, you are, Paul, anyway. you are. And that is absolutely fine with me. I will deal with it. Um, this is John Krasinski's. Is that how you say his name? Kranzinski. Kranzinski. Yeah. Uh, is it is, is possibly his directorial debut? I haven't really done my research on this. Uh, it's not. I, he, okay. def, he did that um, uh, David Foster Wallace adaptation, which was called Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Okay. That was his. And I think he may have done at least one other film. But I, I'll look that up okay. as you're talking. So this is his film, um, A Quiet Place, which co-stars himself and his wife, Emily Blunt. Um, it's an incredibly effective horror trailer I think have you seen this trailer Pete? I have yeah it looked Um, pretty interesting and it just seems to be that it seemed a little bit like um, what comes at night it comes at night no hold on what's that film it comes at night it comes at night it's kind of a similar set where you've got a family seemingly living in the middle of nowhere possibly after some kind of apocalyptic event although that's kind of not really made 100% clear Uh, and they're being hunted by some creatures who can hunt just by sound so there's a lot of very tense looking scenes from the trailer I'm a big horror film fan as you know Um, so I'm quietly excited about this I do have a feeling though because it's got quite a mainstream cast that we might end up with a film that's not quite as good as it could have been I've got a horrible feeling it's going to end for probably with a half an hour of just the scenes filled with CGI beasties but hopefully it won't Um, I do quite like him and Emily Blunt's very talented so uh, I'm quietly confident A Quiet Place will be good just to tie up that last conversation it turns out yeah uh, the one that I mentioned the David Foster Wallace one and then uh, a film that came out in 2016 apparently called The Hollers with Charlie Day and Anna Anna Kendrick uh, which I don't think I've ever heard of before but yeah he's done done a couple so yeah we'll see Paul I agree with you the trailer looks interesting I I think John Kranzinski is a very well-meaning and and quite talented actor I'm yet to be convinced that he is either a great writer or director but mm. we, you know we'll see how, how that pans out so I mean it's kind of part of the reason we do coming attractions isn't it to just kind of float things that could be interesting could yeah. pan out well no, no, maybe not you know 100 well this is the thing we're definitely <laughs> going to go and see it um, there's no doubt about that and I think uh, you know it will be I think it will be solid at least you know um, what have you got Pete well Paul I have got one that we may have even done on coming attractions before so if so I guess I apologise uh, this is uh, important for me to, to re-highlight because it is the film The Square from Ruben Ostland Ruben Ostland came to our attention and the attention of many with Force Majeure which I was really big on so big on that Paul recognised that I needed it on like Blu-ray and bought it for me what a guy yeah even though um, I didn't go too much on the film interestingly uh, so this one deals with an art exhibit that if you've seen the trailer for The Square you will know that it's going to be a sort of ultra like out there art exhibit that this guy um, is 
putting on in a gallery as he also sort of emotionally, psychologically unravels. Um, that's about as much of, as this I This won the Palme d'Or last year, didn't so it? Far. Am, I, am I correct in saying that? I think that's, that's right. I've got a feeling it did, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right, because I remember talking about it on the show. Um, and as well, to bring you into the cinema for this one, is the presence of the um, incomparable Elizabeth Moss, the most talented working Scientologist, I might argue. <laughs> uh, and the person who's also linking with Alex uh, uh, is Ross. Jason, uh, is Jason Lee not still working? Or? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Moss has worked with Alec, Alex Ross Perry uh, on you know those films that I mentioned, yeah. Listen Up, Philip, and uh, Queen of Earth. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it because I just think that this director does a really good job with building up sort of like um, psychological interpersonal awkwardness with his characters and that's what the whole of Force Majeure is sort of predicated on and I think handled really well the premise here is intriguing Elizabeth Moss is great who knows who knows where this thing's going to go but it's obviously really pleased some audiences and maybe not worked out so well for others we'll see how this particular two-man audience feels about it in a couple of weeks time when hopefully we track it down in the cinema if not on a streaming paid service somewhere around uh, our vicinity we will though be back in just a moment won't we Paul with two big juicy feature reviews yes and this week which one are we going to go out first uh, we are going to be starting with Annihilation right after this So, here we are, back with our feature review section, and first up, Annihilation, which at the front of the show, Paul mentioned, in the UK at least, has gone exclusively to Netflix, having been, so- by, uh, been sold by the studio, which I believe is Paramount, yes. uh, to Netflix. This one is what the Americans might call a hard R, and uh, it's also what certain people might call hard sci-fi. Um, it's definitely hard sci-fi. We're, <laughs> we're going to make it easier for you by setting it up a little bit, and then we'll hear a clip from the film. So, the film, as much as we can tell you about it, um, is directed and I believe written also uh, adapted I should say from yeah. the source material that you've read and I haven't yeah, so a novel by Jeff Vandermeer originally so tri- it's the, this is the first part of a trilogy of books um, although Garland has, insin- has insinuated that this is the only one he's going to adapt yeah and of course you mentioned Alex Garland he follows up here as director from Ex Machina which is his d- directorial debut just a, a couple of years ago which I think went down pretty well with us didn't yeah, it I liked it a lot, yeah. um, in this film we've got a kind of fractured narrative that centres around the character played by Natalie Portman who seems to have undergone some kind of trauma she's in a uh, an institution surrounded by people in hazmat suits who are questioning her about her decisions and her conduct but we sort of at various points flash forwards and backwards and for the meat of the film follow a crew an all-female crew or squad as they move into an area that is referred to only as the shimmer in this area it seems as though things are put through a filter or a prism I think they call it in the film and and the some fucked up shit happens yeah <laughs> uh, you know in, in maybe more delicate words yeah, yeah. it plays around with the, the psychology of the characters but also the ecology of the environment in some pretty startling unsettling arresting sorts of ways alongside Natalie Portman's character we've got the squad commander played by Jennifer Jason Lee incredible uh, we've also got uh, Je- uh, Gina Rodriguez Tessa Thompson who I like a, a great deal and who am I forgetting? Uh, Sonoya Mizuno, is that the other one? Possibly. The Asian girl who goes in the group? Yeah. I think there's one more. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so the five of them venture off into the shimmer. Um, before we talk about our thoughts on this uh, possibly devices, very, very interesting film, here's a clip. called the Shimmer. We've sent in teams of people, nothing comes back. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying, it's making something new. So yeah, that clip kind of, I think, tries to explain a bit more than what we've explained but I would say if you don't know anything about this film then certainly probably I would say go in as cold as you possibly full, full can full disclosure listeners we don't know what that clip does no. Jack's going to put it in, in, yeah. pro, in yeah, post-production yeah, so. So, yeah we're hoping that it will elaborate on the film a bit more hence why there was a bit of an awkward silence after the clip if, if up, Jack so. does his job well yeah, it yeah. will seamlessly blend yeah. with so everything Jack, we're saying if you're listening you know what clip you need to pick now I think um, so yes so sorry yeah so um, yeah this was one of my coming attractions a while ago um, I'll start by saying that I'm a massive fan of the, the, the trilogy of books um, I think they're fantastic um, sort of no holds bar hardcore sci-fi um, and from the opening gambit I think uh, Garland has delivered for me at least what is an incredible adaption uh, of what was an excellent book in fairness um, it, it's, I would say it's not for the it's not for the, the faint of heart when it comes to sci-fi Pete would you say that's a fair fair description of it yeah yeah I mean let's get into the film a little bit because otherwise we're going to yeah. just kind of edge around it and not really yeah. say anything I mean yeah what come, what came to mind with this for me was I suppose in recent memory something like the Denny Villeneuve film Arrival purely okay. because we've got human beings encountering something sort of mystical outside of their control but at other p- parts of the, the film you'll get all kinds of things coming to mind well Stalker the yeah. massive touchstone for this is Stalker and I think they said the same thing I read the book like the, the blueprint of Stalker is all over this and it's not a bad thing um basically because in Stalker they go to this weird zone that's seemingly behind a barrier so the, you know it's taken a lot from Stalker sorry Pete yeah and, and so I, I guess first of all we'll start off with um, the the cast I guess it's as good a, a place as any to start um, Oscar Isaac returns to working with uh, Alex Garland here because of course he was in Axe Machina and here he plays the partner of Natalie Portman who seems to have already been in the shimmer and he's very badly affected and uh, sort of on death's door early in the film at least um, I think he's very good I believe in that relationship enough. What I had a bit of an issue with, Paul, and see where you're coming from on this one. Natalie Portman's been in the military for seven years. Really? Really, though? That that <laughs> person has been in the military for seven years. That was a stretch for me. That was a real stretch. And I know that um, there's been some uh, debate about Alex Garland's casting choices, final casting choices, not least because I believe in this, their, you said it's a trilogy, in the second and third book, the it's revealed that two of the main characters are actually um, maybe an African-American and an Asian character. Yes. Something yeah. like that. And they were, let's not say whitewashed, but they were cast as white characters, I yeah, believe. Yeah, the whole the whole thing about the characters is really interesting because and apologies if I said this when I talked about it before I don't think I did though it's actually when I read the book they don't the characters don't have any names they are just referred to as psychologist or biologist or chemist mm. um, and actually the book about, it was about three quarters of the way through the book and I was just like 
what a fucking sexist I am. I assume they're all male mm. but, and they're not in the book. And actually it doesn't really, and it's so cleverly written that you, you kind of make your own mind up. And I was just like, I feel horrible as a human being. Mm. Um, but I think the decision to send them to, for an all female cast is certainly, is certainly reflected on better in the book because in the book there are, I mean, it says in the film, there are teams that have gone into the shimmer ahead of these, ahead of this group of women, but they have been, they have been mixed groups or all males. So they've decided this time around to see what effect the shimmer would have on a group of all women, which I don't think is touched on that well in the film. But I've drifted off from what you were saying. No, but that's fine, because I'm going to drift off all over the place now. So, um, right, cast members, I'll get through that and then we'll carry on. Sorry, I did. So, yeah, I think, um, I I was predisposed to say this, but I think that Tessa Thompson is really good in this, and I think she is maybe a standout for me. Um, Maybe I'm biased, maybe I just liked her to start with, but I think she handles things pretty well. I think Jennifer Jason Lee is also good. Um, Natalie Portman, I think later in the film, is a lot stronger than she is earlier in the film. Mm. Just because when she's going through some of the transformative things that we can't spoil later in the film, I think that's a little bit closer to her wheelhouse than attempting to pass herself off as a gun-toting military type. I, do, I see your point, to be honest, and I said, I, I, yeah, I suppose it's difficult to say what I had imagined for the character, but it wasn't that important. No. Um, um, and yeah, I see where you're coming from, is yeah, to conv- she, does she convince as a sort of ex-military type? Probably not, so but, I'll give you that. But then I suppose, you know, we can analyse all day, like, individual performances. What I wanted to talk about is there's a lot thematically going on here, isn't there? There's a lot going on. I mean, this, uh, as we're making clear, this is not Alex Garland's original story. This is from, um, who was the... Jeff Vandermeer. Jeff Vandermeer's book, series of books. There's an awful lot going on, and maybe you'll have more insight because you've read the source material, Paul, but, like... At times in this movie, I feel like, okay, we've got an all-female cast, so we've got this kind of connection with um, Mother Earth and Rebirth. We see the women as they pass further into the shimmer, almost um, becoming intertwined with the ecology of the shimmer, right? Which clearly there's this subtext of the way in which, not even necessarily subtext, I think it's fairly foregrounded, the way in which humans' interaction with the world is radically affecting that world right which I think is a great concern of the original author I would imagine it it felt I should say to me at certain times though like Alex Garland had so much thematically to deal with that he didn't quite know how to juggle all of that stuff in a two-hour movie. Am I off base? I mean, because no, like I say, honest, I haven't read it. It's weird. I don't think you are off base because I think, you know, you shouldn't necessarily need to have read the original source material here because it is an adaptation. And actually, there are places where it plays fast and loose with, with the plot of the book. So certain things are changed, certain things that happen in The Lighthouse happen elsewhere in the book and certain you know the lighthouse is dealt with differently in the book and that this this kind of thing so those those kind of key scenes are handled quite differently uh, well there are similarities but i yeah i see where you're coming from i think i think it helps having read the book because you have a better under you do have a little bit better understanding of, of the kind of wider thing about area x which is the area affected by the shimmer um but the book even if you've read all three books the book still doesn't give you a great deal of context so you are kind of in you are in your kind of 2001 kind of uh, it makes you ask questions territory here which I really really like about it um, I like the fact it doesn't really explain anything I like the fact that you've got the, the, it just it leaves it kind of open ended but I can see why that would frustrate certain 
certain audiences. Then sure. okay, my my next. I'll probably see why Paramount got cold feet about releasing it in the cinema room here as well. Well, yeah, I get. Yeah. I guess you can. Yeah, I mean, the shame of that, and we touched on it earlier, Paul, is that like particularly things that happen in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of the film needed to be seen on an absolutely giant cinema screen. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, your screen is is twice the size of mine, probably. But, but it's still nowhere near. It's a bit of a shame, yeah, yeah, that we're robbed of that, or even the option for that, at least here in in the UK. Um, I I wanted to get to then next. To me, um, and I even messaged our, our WhatsApp group at the end of this film, which is unusual for me as a sort of direct response to a movie that I've just seen. For me, this is a film with uh, a visually um, and sort of intellectually fairly um, bracing and sort of astonishing last section. I'm not sure that the film that precedes that comes close to that ending. Um, and I say that for a few reasons. One of those is I think this has some very poor CGI earlier on in the film. A couple of creatures that appear look yeah, faintly I ridiculous. See, I, I was kind of okay with it. but and which Maybe it just look better normally, on your screen. I don't know. No, I don't think that's necessarily the case because I normally am quite... Very, I'm normally very picky over the CGI and I didn't really have a huge issue with it in this. But then... And maybe again, maybe it's a context because I didn't. I don't think the creatures are meant to look realistic, especially mm. like so. If, for example, if you if you take the closing fifteen minutes of the film, which by the way, if you like sci-fi, is fucking incredible. Um, like it's not meant to look real. Like the whole thing is meant to look kind of hyper real and a bit weird. So maybe that's that carried it for me, or maybe I'm just making excuses because no, I love the film. I, I don't no, know. But, I think that makes but, sense to me, Paul. But I think that there's a pitfall there visually, though, which is that like if it's trying to look that way, it falls into the territory of worse uh, sort of inferior productions that end up looking that way by mistake. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe. I mean, yeah, don't... Yeah, I, I, it probably is just me making excuses for a film that I otherwise love. But it, it, ultimately, it's weird to say it only had a budget of £40 million. Right. So cut, yeah. costs were going to be cut somewhere. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And then, OK, we, we can't say what the last section is. But as Paul has, has just mentioned, the last <laughs> section, like... It just has to be seen. Like if you if you make yourself watch one film that might not be a thing you'd usually watch this year, make it this one and oh, make totally, sure yeah. you stick around for that last I did, few minutes. I did warn my wife because I watched so I watched it twice yesterday and I did warn my wife just just as they go into the lighthouse, which is not which is not a spoiler as to where things happen, it's right at the beginning of the film and the lighthouse is key to the events of the film. Just as I go into the lighthouse, I looked at my wife and I was like, warning, it's about to get very sci-fi. And uh, yeah, the, the last 15 minutes won't be for everyone, but um, it, by a long shot, because it's mental. Can't say what's happening. We've got a lot here. I mean, very early on, Paul, we get this theme about um, cell duplication, which yeah. runs throughout the, the movie, it's fair to say. And because Natalie Portman's character is this biologist um, by trade, she is concerned with biological changes and ecological changes and that kind of thing. But then, yes, how that plays out at the end is, is an astonishing thing. And to me, I wanted to sum this up as saying, like, it looks like a Sia video that has been directed by Adam... I think his name's Adam Jones, the guy from Tool, who used to do yeah, all the yeah. Tool uh, visual did, it, art. No, it did, yeah. Certain elements did remind me of a Tool video. It's, it's a lot like that. And, uh, and I... <laughs> It's one of those things, I think, where like a bit like how I felt about Arrival, I, I wasn't blown away by that movie, but the end I was very taken by mm. and, the, and the sort of ideas there I was taken by. And I found myself in the last 15 minutes of this thinking like, 
I can forgive the fact that I thought 60% of this movie was just good because I think the last part of this movie is great and I just want to sit with with these ideas for a while. No, I I agree with you. I liked it up until the last 15 minutes and it was after it it ended and I was like, no, I love that film. And it was, if if ever there's a film made by its ending, it's Annihilation. And I just, for me, I'd be very surprised if this isn't sitting in my top 10 of the year list at the end of the year. I just, I'm a massive sci-fi fan anyway, as you know, and this just ticked all the boxes for me because I almost feel like this is a slightly facetious point but like I almost feel like if you took say the movie The Happening I'm not comparing these sort of life life, if you took that if you took that movie and then at the end of The Happening for whatever reason when Wahlberg eventually finds Mother Nature the last 15 minutes of this movie happened I I would like them a a similar amount probably but yeah that one is Annihilation but I think despite your reservations though it's a recommendation for me doesn't it it is a recommendation for me for sure and it is a like really really hard phosphorescent orb of light in the face recommendation yeah. for the last sort of 15 or 20 minutes of it uh, check it out it is streaming on Netflix now in the UK if you're lucky enough to live in North America lucky enough in this situation yeah. Yeah. then you might be able to hit the cinema uh, yeah Annihilation is, is certainly worth your time we will be back in just a moment with another film that we have spent our time on recently and that is You Were Never Really Here So, our second feature review of the day, Paul, is You Were Never Really Here from director Lynn Ramsey that people will know from um, about five years ago we had uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was this sort of um, fractured... Was dice. that her last film? Or did she it was her last film, yeah. Okay. Uh, she tried to make something since. Did she try and make Jane You've Got a Gun? Was that Lynn Ramsey? Yes, that yes, was okay. a whole fiasco. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She, she's previously made Rat Catcher Jane and she also made right. Morven Caller, which is on movie at the moment I still haven't seen. Um, but yeah, this... Uh, sorry, I was saying we need to talk about Kevin's kind of fractured visual interpretation of the source novel that told the story of this troubled kid I'm sure you've seen the film by now Uh, this one is similarly fractured but tells a completely different story Uh, the central character played by Joaquin Phoenix is a damaged former veteran who sets out on a mission to save girls who have been sold into the sex trade um, so we're not in you know family it's comedy really, territory it's a film. Yeah, as uh, it goes. <laughs> uh, and what the film does is charts one man's struggle with his own psyche as we loosely see how he goes about his sort of avenging angel mission to free innocence from the clutches of bad people. Before we get into our thoughts, and we probably do have many... Is, is Jack going to be able to find a clip for this? Because there's so little dialogue in it. I'm going to wish I wish you luck, Jack, but here's a clip. Jack, Jack <laughs> needs to record himself throwing his pots and pans down the yeah, stairs, yeah. and that will be a clip from this movie. But yes, uh, with that in mind, Jack, do your best. Here's a clip. 235 East 31st Street. That's what the text said. You have kids, Joe? No. Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be. Where do you start with this film, Pete? I mean, I, I, I came out of it again. I saw this, I saw this yesterday, and I, I came out of it, and within kind of like half an hour, I was like, "What have I just watched?" Like, it, I, I, 
I've never. I don't think I've ever seen something quite as intense as this thrown at the thrown at me. Probably outside of Mad Max Fury Road when we went to see that in IMAX. It's just a thumping cinematic experience from from start to finish, and it's what a tight ninety minutes. So mm. it, it picks you up. It doesn't put you down. I just. It was. I, I loved it. I'd pick us up. Put some structure in this because I'm still not even sure I watched it. It was that well, that, that intense a film. Let, <laughs> let's have a fun podcast. I hate this film. Did you I hate really, it? Uh, okay. okay, hate is too strong of a word. I'm being contrarian. I don't hate this film. Uh, I I kind of hate what this film is. I kind of hate this film's essence. But the actual mounting of this production, I think, is really really accomplished. I think like. I've, I've rarely been so torn in my opinion about a thing that I've seen at the cinema because I think Lynn Ramsey does things visually and Johnny Greenwood does things orally that, that mesh so sort of... It's all very discordant. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be soothing or beautiful in any obvious sense of the word. However, they, they work so well together to create this like cacophony of sound and images and, and disorientation and, and queasiness and uh, and all these things. Having said all of that, what we've got is a film about a guy inflicting violence on people so that he can free a, a, an almost mute, innocent girl in a story as hackneyed as time that to me felt like, what's this for? I don't understand what it's for. And, and I have gone down pages and pages of four <laughs> and five star reviews yeah. of people gushing about, even probably the reaction that you're talking about too, Paul, where you're like, this just really like picked me up and took me along. And it's like, and I keep seeing, and this is where I'm going to shut my mouth and let you come back at me. How is it or why is it that the adjective brutal is apparently inherently positive now? I feel like I'm not railing against violence. That's not my point. What I'm saying is like when people throw out their positive adjectives about a movie, they say like, oh, it's thrilling and it's engaging and it's brutal. Just being brutal isn't necessarily a good thing, surely. I mean, come back at me on this. Well, no, I would agree. I would agree. Being brutal for the sake of being brutal is not necessarily a good thing. But if you, if people take such glee in the fact that it's brutal, but I don't see why they shouldn't. Because if if a filmmaker can use violence well, for example, Hounds of Love, um, that uses sporadic violence very very well, and I would say that's a brutal film. Um, That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, And when they don't use it well, you get Red Sparrow. Yeah, it's not necessarily a so, bad thing. That's not what yeah. I'm saying. I just feel in the in the, in the wider conversation um, about movies. Maybe I read too many letterbox reviews. Because this reviews was included in the words of my. I'm pretty sure this is in my. No, no, no. I don't. I don't. I haven't taken it from there yeah. anyway. If it <laughs> is, but no, I've just seen a lot of people in their first sort of three or four words saying like brutal, and I'm not saying oh don't don't appreciate films that are violent. I appreciate many of those. I don't think for me for me when I use the word brutal in my review, it wasn't necessarily to do with the violence because actually a lot of the violence in this film is actually kept off screen and you. Mm-hmm. You only really see the aftermath of it, which is something I really liked about it. In terms of sort of brutal, it's just for me, it was like a 90 minute assault on the senses that was. But I, for what though? It was interesting. That's was, what I don't it understand. Like, it was just, uh, it was a uniquely cinematic experience for me. But, but for what? To what end? 
To what end do we watch any films? We watch any film to be transported, to relate to someone, to feel like you've experienced something you've never experienced before. I've experienced this movie before. It's Paul Schrader's film, Hardcore. This is Taxi Driver. This This is is Drive. Yeah, no, A a load of other movies. And yeah, not, as I said at the beginning, I don't hate everything about the movie. I think some of it is incredibly accomplished. You could show this to film students, you know, for years to come in terms of how you frame things. Like the the stuff with dropping the camera down to the side of cars and having all of that ambient noise in the environment like overwhelm the sound mix that stuff worked so well but at the center of it there's this hollow depressing story that for me doesn't do anything it's like neon demon what have we learned we've learned that the uh, fashion industry is vacuous vacuous people are vacuous and and violence isn't nice what have we learned here that that be, having ptsd <laughs> is bad that being tormented by your past isn't particularly enjoyable and that if you're an innocent you know blonde haired white child then you probably shouldn't be abused by paedophiles. Like, I knew that stuff. I knew it. And I feel like I didn't need to be hit around the head with saucepans for like an hour and a half to to learn it. And I totally get where you're coming from in terms of like, you know, yeah, not every story has to enlighten me about life or whatever. No. But I just felt such a sense of like hollow I mean, fair enough. Inhumanity. If, you felt, if, you've, if you've felt a disconnect of it, fair enough. I'm not going to try and convince Tell me more good things. I want to hear more good but things. It's the good things you've summed up. It's just the visual style of it is incredible. That Johnny Greenwood's score is just unbelievable. I mean, the guy... It, it, what, a, what a composer he's becoming. The, the guy is... Uh, let, let's be completely frank and, and you know, notwithstanding the fact that Joe, uh, Joe Johan Tanya Johansson has passed away recently. We've got to be sensitive to that. But like, I would say Johnny Greenwood, the best working, living uh, film score uh, composer at this point. I don't know if Hans Zimmer doing <laughs> far, far <laughs> ahead of old jowly Hans Zimmer. Yeah. No, yeah. I just yeah, I just think for, for me the film clicked and it and it really really worked um, based on the fact that again I think we, we had this conversation I think with Neon Demon uh, and pretty much a similar conversation with Neon Demon. Sometimes for me for it to look great visually and sound incredible is enough. And for me I came up going oh my god that was such a cinematic experience that I wouldn't have got had I watched it at home. And for me that was enough. I can understand why there would be a disconnect there somewhere. And I did read a review out there somewhere. I did read a letterbox review actually that didn't particularly like it and accused it of being. Uh, arrogant filmmaking Uh, so you're not alone I don't think Um, but no for me yeah just an all round just intense cinematic hit that I really 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 it reminds me not the film Paul but the discussion that I guess I've started a little bit here reminds me of where I fell off with um, like Asian extreme sort of cinema Mm. because I was all like a big Tartan video fanboy back in the day and stuff and it was that movie I Saw the Devil where I was just like can we just stop like can we just stop like oh there's a guy and he's killing prostitutes and we're going to show that in detail and then there's going to be like a rape and there's going to be I like don't get me wrong Paul there are many violent disturbing movies that I really quote unquote enjoy well, Annihilation that's good it's got a share of disturbing Annihilation but like I don't know like think about films that, that put people off or are off putting like um, Irreversible I don't know something like yeah. that comes to mind okay in that movie I understand more so that what we're doing is using this stuff to tell this story of sort of very tangible revenge for a situation that we've seen play out I've seen a lot of people in reviews say oh we've got um, a, a revenge movie with only the final act here and that's brilliant 
you don't see that elsewhere. I don't know that it is. I don't know that I have any investment in a film yeah, that the, just shows I'm, me the, the. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued why you say that. I get where you're coming from on the, the whole the Titan Asia. Titan Asia Extreme was the label and the kind of extreme yeah. Asian cinema. But what Lynn Ramsey does here, which I, again, which is one of the reasons I really like this, is a lot of the violence is off scene, and you only really see the consequences of it rather than the violence itself. Yeah, sure. But then, but then, what? What's the big thing that? I guess yeah I guess I'm coming back to the same point like then what then we have off screen violence we have a, an almost mute central character people have been raving about Joaquin Phoenix he's fine but I don't know I think you need to cool your jets on Joaquin Phoenix performance here I mean yeah ha, when has it been so astonishing that um, fairly experienced actor pulls off internal uh, non-communicative tortured role I mean that's the it, it seems like the oldest trick in the book to 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 do that and to be praised overly for it. Is your biggest problem with it? You just you've seen it all before. Because you, you, you seem to like the technical side of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I would agree just... with you. Yes, the, the plot is hackneyed. I mean, I immediately thought I, Drive came to mind of recent films that this is much like. But yeah, even then, Drive. But maybe this is a problem I have, Paul. Maybe yeah. uh, not a problem, but maybe it's just how I've changed as a as a viewer or, or as a person. Because we had the conversation about um, recently uh, Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, and I didn't. They're completely different films, but they have that one thing in common where I'm just like okay we see a person on the warpath for what I don't I don't care I yeah. just don't care and and so I can yeah I can appreciate the technical um, achievements here absolutely but would I rush to see this again? Never in my life. I, I mean I, I maybe would, with I, a bit of a, a gap. I, don't I know, almost want to see it again I have to say for if if you get this film, I would imagine... Not get it. If you like this film, I imagine you'll love it. I can't imagine this is a film where you're going to be either sitting kind of down the middle on, to be honest. No. And for me, it was one of the most... Sort of the, the most cinematic roller coaster I've been on in quite some time. And it's utterly intense. Well, and and for me, entirely compelling. I loved it. And, you're, loved and it. you're like 98% in the majority. I mean, we have to which be is, which is rare for clear me. about yeah. this. The, the, the vast majority of reviews... And I think the Metascore is somewhere around 86 at the moment... Oh, So I'm very much an outlier and I'll accept that and that's fine. And maybe that's a blind spot for me or maybe it's just a a thing that I I don't gravitate towards to in in, in certain ways. But that one is, you were never here. We were really here and we just did that rather emotional show Um, but before we peace out for the week and uh, I go and sort of meditate in silence for a while no in fact we're going to the cinema immediately afterwards so hopefully um, it'll be that film again (laughs) yes fingers crossed Uh, we have one last section of the show and we like to call it credits that's where we give credit to something that we think is good Paul, what have you seen, heard or experienced recently that was good? Uh, So I have been introduced by the power of something, an article on a website somewhere, I think, to a new film streaming service to the UK called Filmstruck, which I believe is being um, co-curated, for want of a better word, by Curzon over here, or certainly pushed by Curzon. Um, Filmstruck looks to be the film streaming service that we've all been waiting for. Uh, Movie's very good, don't get me wrong. Um, and it's certainly the way it rotates its films is great but I mean so far we've got on here we've got like a criterion section we've got a, an so this is streaming film purely streaming, streaming. Yeah. so yeah. for example Stalker's on there Solaris is on there um, what else have we what's got what's our here? price point do you know Five ninety nine a month but okay. it, it's, it just seems to be aimed at classic films so classic okay. art house classic world cinema like films that you would quite happily own on Blu-ray and not get rid of because you can never find them on a streaming service for example which is the problem I'm going through at the moment yeah. I'm trying to move house and I've sold about half of my Blu-ray so far which is the most painful experience of my life get your 5 out but, 
they are like, they, a lot off. of the films have appeared on Filmstruck which is great so yeah check out Filmstruck if you haven't already I haven't signed up yet because I've got a shit ton of Blu-rays to watch through uh, but once I've watched those I probably will sign up to Filmstruck so check it out if you haven't already looks like it might be very good so for my uh, credit this week I am going to pretend that I'm some kind of millennial and uh, I suppose I technically am and uh, recommend a YouTube show I'm going to recommend I'm going to recommend a YouTube show uh, Paul it is the show Hot Ones it's the show with uh, Hot Wings and even Hotter Questions no Hot Questions and even Hotter Wings you made me watch this and it is very funny so so quick uh, plug on this one it is hosted by a guy called Sean Evans who works for Complex uh, online magazine and and does like hip hop interviews and stuff like that usually this guy is crushing the game right now because Hot Ones started off as a um, a simple premise which was Sean Evans interviews usually like a rapper and as he's doing the interview they both have to eat increasingly hot spiced chicken wings to the point where they get so lucid because they're sweating and their nose is running and they can't handle it that they give much more interesting answers than the stock answers you'd get on the press junket or whatever right however Sean Evans' show, uh, Hot Ones, and First We Feast, the network that it is on, has blown up so much that I'm actually recommending the most recent episode, which starred Charlize Theron, because this is where we are now with this show. I remember watching Key and Peele do it a while ago. Yeah, so, so yeah, there are loads of... He's on season five at this point, so you've got tons if you like it. They're about 20 minutes long, but I would definitely recommend the Charlize Theron one um, as a good starting off point. I think it hit about two million plays in four days. It's like a podcast. Like it's very similar, very similar. It's the companion show to our audio uh, audio podcast. Uh, yeah, so that one's Hot Ones. Uh, check that out too if you have the time and an internet connection, which I presume you do because you're listening to this. Well, yeah, it's fair. Um, that's about the end of our show for this week. We've got to go off and watch a film, haven't we, Paul? We have, yes. Yeah. So in the meantime, if you want to catch us, find us on Twitter at Stranger Cinema, at Stranger in the Cinema on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, and we will be back next week with reviews of whatever we see tonight and probably Tomb Raider. Seems likely we'll you soon ready yeah and until then uh, we'll see you next time goodbye shut up and sit down